0: Achieving success, being healthy and wealthy, and lifelong happiness is anyone's ultimate dream. In the grand scheme of things, self-doubt limits you from achieving great things. The path towards the zenith of success and controlling your life is at your hands. This is The Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. To close a few loops for people, right, I gave you the first two the first two of these characteristics, and I, I went a little bit deeper into some side topics because it's relevant. You see, your perceptual filters are the primary, primary modulators of of luck in your life. The information that comes into your awareness is determ- will determine what opportunities you take advantage of and which ones you miss. So we have to start off with the identity. First and foremost is you have to identify yourself as being lucky, right? So that's the first characteristic or attribute that we need to install, right? The more resources and examples of being lucky that we encompass, the easier that is to do, right? So that's our first one. The second one, which to me is if you had nothing else, would still make you more successful than you are right now, is action, I believe so much in this concept and this idea that I even named my clinic after it, Action Performance Care, right? Action Hypnosis, Action NLP. Action, action, action. You know, you'd be surprised. I deal with a lot of stuff in my clinic. Now, uh, the, the, uh, some, uh, a comment was made uh, during the break and, and I, I took it for granted, but sometimes things you take for granted are things that come back to haunt you. Uh, you notice that we, we, we have you guys sign video releases and stuff like that. Uh, At the beginning of the the event, because in case we bring your lovely face on camera, you know, we want to make you a movie star, but we don't force anybody to come up and do anything. And we, we value your privacy a great deal. If you come to see me at the clinic, all of our work, all of our records is HIPAA compliant. Your records are protected. Your privacy is protected. Okay. We have you, if you're a hypnosis or NLP or energy psychology client, you fill out the exact same paperwork as if you're coming to us for chiropractic or acupuncture and oriental medicine. For those of you who don't know, I didn't give you my pedigree. Some of you already know it. Some of you do not. Uh, I am a licensed acupuncturist and diplomate of oriental medicine here in the state of California, as well as nationally. Uh, I graduated from the Southern California University of Health Sciences back in 2005. You guys want to check me out. Um, I'm also a certified Reiki master. I've been a Reiki master since the early 90s, since before Reiki was cool, right? I'm a certified pranic healer and pranic psychotherapist, DNA theta healer. I'm certified in Bankston energy healing as well as advanced DNA theta healing, okay? I have more energy credentials than McDonald's sells hamburgers. I've also been studying Kabbalah since the early 90s, since before Madonna started studying Kabbalah. So I'm very much a (laughs) (laughs) pre-Madonna. (laughs) <laughs> all right <laughs> that's more true in more ways than one but anyway uh, so i i know a bit about what's going on i don't claim to know everything uh, what i'm giving you is what works for me this is the world according to david if it resonates with you grab a hold of it take the ball and run with it to use a sports metaphor if it doesn't chuck it and find something that does right um Clinically, we see everything from post-traumatic stress to terminal cancer, and we have a very, very good rate with uh, resolving chronic and terminal illness. Um, Just to be surprised how rapidly the system changes when you integrate all of the elements the way nature intended it to be. See, one of the problems that we have is that we live in a society whose scientific model is reductionist. It separates everything from everything else but your body, your mind, your spirit are not designed to work alone. They're not designed one division to work separate from another division. They're designed to integrate and communicate in a synergistic way. The problem is, is that each of those layers of your neurology is a filter and it has a firewall. And some information translates very, very cleanly and some parts don't. So the problem that we have is isn't that we don't work. It's that parts of us don't understand one another. And that goes back to uh, a very famous figure um, in the 70s, an yeah. and early part of, our, of the history of NLP, but even in psychiatry, a man by the name of Dr. Milton Erickson. Dr. Erickson was the world's leading uh, authority on hypnosis at the time. He's, the, he's, he's believed to be and, and, and regarded as the founder of conversational hypnosis. And he's quoted as saying, your clients will be your clients because they're out of rapport with their subconscious mind. And that is more true than you can possibly imagine. We're always trying to separate this from that to isolate things. And on one level that's okay, but that's not how your system works. So you can try to make these arbitrary distinctions between your body and your imagination versus your rational thought, your rational mind, but that weakens the system. Yes, God, Jesus said it, a house divided against itself can't stand. Your neurology, when integrated, is magic, real magic. And the, the the speed and the pervasiveness of the changes that you can develop and create when all of the parts of you work together is nothing short of miraculous. And I really mean, I really mean that. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I'm going to close some loops for you tonight. We talked about identity. We got we to get your self-concept, what you believe you're des- who you are and what you deserve. We got to get those filters changed first and foremost. Because no matter what other traits you, tr- no matter what other things you try to do, if you have a, a self-concept, an identity, a set of filters about who you are and what you deserve in this world that says you can't have something, it doesn't matter who gives it to you, you're going to find a way to lose it. So we gotta change ourselves at the identity level. To do that, we need to look at the results that we're producing and why we're that way. We talk about the law of attraction. Did I say something funny? Again. Lottery winners. Lottery winners. They they lose it fast or kill themselves, right? Yeah. They, lose it. they do, right? And this is the you know, John Assaraf, who I actually was in a mastermind with for many years for a couple of years, said it best in his when he talked about the secret. He says, you cannot out earn your self image which is your identity right so the moment we begin to change things at the identity level and here's the thing you understand is you are not your identity that's one of the big delusions that we labor under is that our identities the personas we carry around inside of us are us they're not they're suits of clothing that you wear that you just like right you all have a favorite shirt or favorite pair of shoes right you have others but when you wear that shirt or that shoes, you feel the best. You feel the most familiar, which is what your neurology sorts for, by the way. Your neurology, for most of the time when we regress people to cause, which is how you fix most problems that are identity-based, you got to take them to between zero and five years old to where the templates that form the foundations of who they are and the primary filters they apply to the world are created. Very doable, but you'll never get there through the neocortex. You'll never get there through the rational part of your brain. You will get there through the body though because if you can point to where you feel it, you can change it. Okay. Identity, action. These are the two running themes in every single law of attraction meetup or personal transformation workshop that I hold. You need an identity that supports what you want. You need to be willing to take the actions to facilitate that. Very smart woman, very intelligent woman passed on a saying that she got from her mother who said, you can be, do, or have anything in this life that you want as long as you're willing to become the person who can have that thing. All right, the way she said it exactly was to become the person to whom that thing can happen to. <laughs> So identity, and identity is something that is a very deep well, right? Um, for those of you who saw the young lady here two weeks ago, we changed some stuff at the identity level, and magic, literally magic happens. Yes? So, so I, I got kind of lost. I understand the clothes uh, analogy and, and that that's your life. It's not your identity. When you're talking in this ex- Example, identity, action. What is identity? Identity is a filter. It's a set of beliefs about who you are and what you deserve. What's possible for you and what isn't. What's desirable and what isn't. In NLP speak, we talk about criteria and values. Criteria is a checklist. The values are the feet are the label we give the feeling we get when this checklist is met. These are the things that support your identity, your self-concept. The primary filters, the primary building blocks of your identity are the dominant caregivers from the ages of zero to five. When you come into this world, there is no right, wrong, good, bad. This is me, that's you. Those are all distinctions you acquire later. And if you think about our development, you you just uh, extract all the spiritual, metaphysical implications out, and you just look at how we're formed and how we're created and how we come into this world. What do you start out as? You start out as one cell inside of something much greater and larger than yourself. There is no us. There's only me when you go through parturition, when you move out into separation and you go through that birth process, those filters aren't there yet. You have just changed, but it's still all you as far as your neurology is concerned. So as you view what's going on around you, your brain, who is in the, in the, in the most neuroplastic phases of its existence ever, your brain is making neural connections at hyperspeed. Okay, we'll talk about neuroplasticity probably sometime when we can do it um, more about it. But the more chocolate you eat, the more plastic your neurology becomes. So keep guzzling. It's true. The, the hormone that mediates neuroplasticity in the body is known as oxytocin. Okay. Oxytocin is a neurotransmitter. Most of us know it as the bonding hormone. It's the one that is responsible for the, the connections, the emotional connections between parent and baby, between spouses, right? Um it's also a big factor in in lactation. But what most people don't realize, it's also the primary mediator of neuroplasticity in the body. The more oxytocin the st- hits the system, the more rapidly your neurology creates new neurological connections with other nerves. In other words, you learn. The other side of that is that... Ner- oxytocin in enough quantities can actually dissolve existing neurological connections and allow for new programming to be laid over it. Now, the, part, the, the, the act that results in the greatest amount of oxytocin release is orgasm. So the best thing to do would be have 20 or 30 minutes of intense machine gun, shotgun-powered, nuclear-powered orgasms. <laughs> Not going to do that tonight. <laughs> no. Another way to do it is to hug people. For 20 minutes or longer and you'll generate a a strong oxytocin. Logistically, it's not really going to work out tonight. So I have to cheat. I can make you laugh a lot. can give you intense pleasure feelings. And I can feed you lots of chocolate. See, I'm not just trying to make you fat. There's a madness to my method. The more neurotransmitters I can get in, the more rapidly you change. I stack everything. Okay. Yes. Remember that first and foremost, your identity, actually I, I refer to CBT for this one, even though a lot of what I'm doing comes from uh, actually Russian sports psychology and autogenics. Um, the one thing that CBT says is that there's a spark of consciousness within you that is pr- primary to all of those filters, those distinctions that we make. In the world, according to David, we call I call it the acceptance, rejection, projection, connection. But think of think of think of your consciousness as you. But every distinction that you make about yourself is just a choice you've made, a decision that you've a value that you've placed on what you're experiencing or how you're evaluating yourself. So you are different people in different clients. You can test this. When you go to church or synagogue. How many of you would go to church or synagogue working a slinky black dress? Yeah. You would, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> of course the men do. This is California, after all. I guarantee you're a different person out at the nightclub than you are at home with mom, right. at home with their spouse, on your honeymoon night with your spouse. You're different people, right? What the Russian sports psychologists discovered was that we have, and this is a neurological process within it, we call them subcells. And each of these are little semi-sentient circuits within us that activate, they turn on and off as the context changes. Right? Uh, everything we make is a distinction. The minute we make a distinction, it's not us. It's something we have. It's something we're doing. Now, you guys asked about identity, so this gets really, really trancy really, really quick and kind of tending us off the beaten path. But think of the your, your true self as that spark of the divine within you. That spark of the divine that is no different in her than it is in him, right? That is connected at some level. Everything else is a suit of clothing or the equivalent thereof that you create. You create, uh, you have yourself and then you have something that reflects that self. And then there's another part of you that observes the reflection. And it's like an infinity mirror and it just keeps layering and layering and layering outward until at some point we actually forget which one is the real us. And we become identified with the suit of clothes that we wear, the personas that we have, never realizing that really what we are doing is we have become, we've forgotten that true essence of what we are and identified with the suit of clothes that we carry. And as long as we keep remain identified with that suit of clothes, Remember that little hierarchy I showed you? Your neurology will fight to keep it. So we can actually change our perceptual positions very, very simply. We'll, we'll do a little drill real quick. I want you to just kind of sit with your fl- feet flat on the floor. And I want you to just close your eyes for me. And I'll go, I promise we'll get back to the regularly scheduled program. But I want you to understand that just a change in perspective generates tremendous potential for change. So I want you to say, I am, my body. "I am my body." Notice what that experience is like. Now I want you to say, "I have a body." I okay. have a body. What just happened? Little anxiety. A little anxiety. OK. What happened?: Right? Say, um, I, this may or may not be true for you, but think of something that is bothering you. And pref it with, I am X, and and formulate that statement as an identity statement in a way that makes sense. Notice how that makes you feel. And now say, I do whatever that behavior is. And notice what happens. That perceptual shift, that change of filter within your neurology, opens and closes doors to, to, to modification, to changing it. The way your neurology works is your neurology is always concerned about itself. It always is thinking in terms of survival, metaphorically or literally. And so you develop personas and you develop behaviors based on the context and the environments that you find yourself in, in order to cope and be effective. And then sometimes these will shut down and sometimes they'll become more and more dominant. Now, the Russian sports psychologist, the same team that taught The Russian Olympic team had to sweep the Olympics in the 70s. They discovered that these sub-selves, these co-personalities, have a level of dominance in your neurology based on the amount of energy directed at them by the unconscious mind. And that through certain processes, they could go into the neurology and tell the brain, remove the power from this one and shunt it over here. And they became very, very powerful at changing identity and co-personality. Our neuroscience later on, a couple, uh, sometime later, created this idea of what they call sub-selves. The Russians called it uh, co-personalities. Our Western science called them sub-selves. And again, they're neurological patterns. In hypnosis, we might call them parts. There are parts of us that turn on and turn off as the context or the identity changes. Right At the extreme, you have what we call dissociative identity disorder, which is when people go through such a traumatic experience that they actually create a separate self just to deal with it. Right, but they're not the self. Does that make sense? They're identities. They're suits of clothes. They're filters to our perceptions, our self worth, and our identity. Our, our, our uh, abilities that turn on and off, and we act on them as if they're true. And while we're in that identity, we take any attack on it as a threat to our survival. And we will fight, even if it's, let's say, for example, that you you were diagnosed and God forbid, none of you ever have this. You had something is, you have some kind of cancer or some kind of infection in your arm. And the only way to save your life is to cut the arm off. Now, cognitively, you know this, will you still move heaven and earth to try and keep that arm? Right. That's kind of what happens when we accept something at an identity level, and then try to remove it without stepping it down first. Human beings consistently confuse something they're doing with who they are. It's so pervasive that it's in our self-concept. When we describe our careers, what do you do for a living, sir? A lot of different things. Okay. You're a chiropractor. Yeah. So Say, I'm a chiropractor. What do you do, Elena? Um, software quality. And what? <laughs> software quality. Software quality. Okay. Does your job have a title? Screen. screen, okay. I'm a psychologist. I'm a psychologist? What do you do? Sales. Uh, okay. You've been to my, some of you guys know this, so you kind of give me a different <laughs> answer. All right? How many times when you think, when I ask you the question, what do you do for a living, you, you preface the statement with I'm A. <laughs> Anytime you hear the word I'm A, what you're hearing is an identity statement. You've accepted something you do with something you are. And as long as you do that, change is harder. Now, it doesn't mean accepting something as the identity level is bad. It's, it's, the, it's the foundation of who we are. But shouldn't we at least have the flexibility to decide who we want to be instead of who we were programmed to be? Because that's what you're dealing with. Who is the you you want to be? Is it what you were programmed to be between the ages of zero to five? Because that's the foundation, the building blocks of your identity and left to its own device, it's going to keep running the same way it's been since you were zero to five. But with the right tools and understanding the coding system, you can go back, rewrite those templates and be who you want to be instead of who you were programmed to be. Right? So hopefully I, I, I gave a little bit of idea of that whole self. What is the self? The self we're aware of isn't the true self. <laughs> weird, but just keeps getting infinite that way. Yes? So when you talked about that one
1: study where the guy involved in the uh, airline farm uh-huh.
0: form their uh, vision, so was that just the identity? You Embodied cognition, them? yeah. And they've done all kinds of weird stuff like this. They've had, uh, Actually, Deepak Chopra talked about a study many years ago, where they literally took a whole bunch of people and they, they renovated this building way off in a remote location, turned it into the 1950s and took all these like, 70, 80-year-old people back there. And everything was, you know, 70s or 50s food and 50s music. And they literally started getting younger. Mm-hmm. They literally, their hair started getting dark again. They... Everything we do, ladies and gentlemen, is a filter to our reality. We don't actually know what true reality is. And that's both on one level tremendously terrifying <laughs> and amazingly liberating. Which means because it means there really aren't that many rules. There really aren't. So <laughs> did I beat that to death? Okay. Okay. So action, identity, identity, action. The next one is gonna be open-minded. <clears throat> Not so open-minded, your brains drop out. Okay. This is important. Uh, You'll find that lucky people, as a rule, are much more open to new stuff. Um, Flexible and adaptable to life's changes and circumstances. They go with the flow. Right. Can't say much more than that. Beating a dead horse. Right. Have there been moments in your life when you've gone with the flow and felt good about it? Did good things happen? Okay. Those are the ones we're going to focus on. We're going to do a process later where we integrate all of these things, but I need to know, you need to know what resources we're going for. Does that make sense? The next one is one that really screws with people. <laughs> this is called specifically vague. Specifically vague. Now, I'll give you some ideas from this. They focus on the destination and let the method and means take care of itself. Okay, this is not somebody who plans every step of the journey, and exactly at what point they should be reaching what point. Not what we're going for. Right? They're bullet pointers rather than scriptors. Okay. They avoid hyper specificity when selecting a direction. And uh, the metaphor that they were given in, in the article was somebody. Um, two people have the same goal being a doctor. One person says, I'm going to be a doctor who helps people versus I'm going to be a cardiac surgeon at the Mayo Clinic. See the level of specificity change? The person, even if they're going to be a cardiac surgeon at the Mayo Clinic, the person with the, uh, vowing to become a doctor to help people has a higher probability of creating the luck circumstances that lead to them becoming a surgeon at the Mayo Clinic than the person with the specific goal. Doesn't mean the person with the specific goal can't do that. We're not talking about drive and willpower and determination. We're talking about luck. Just the awareness, the ability to tell, I'm sorry, to nonlinear serendipitous events that lead to an outcome. Okay. It doesn't mean if you are that specific, you're bad or you're wrong. We're talking about luck, the creation of serendipitous events and opportunities. These are the mindsets that open up the perceptual filters that allow your neurology to bring your attention to those moments. You understand the distinction I'm making because it's important. Um, So they're specifically vague. They're kind to themselves. This is the one that pisses people off. Right? There's a certain category of human at the minute they do anything wrong. They don't live up to some perfectional standard. They beat themselves up relentlessly. None of here, nobody here does that. Right? Nah. Not anymore. <laughs> OK, so they're kind to themselves. They recognize that failures are stepping stones to better things. Right? Lucky people are highly resilient. They bounce back. Right? They're psychologically tough, right? They tend to let things roll off their back. You ever notice lucky people tend to be like, "Huh, eh, I'll will deal with it," right? They don't they don't linger, they don't hold on to that shit more often than not, right? They brush off oh there it is they brush off failures, and disappointments, and quickly move on to the next opportunity. If you go back far enough in in psychology today, you should be able to find the article I pulled this from. I didn't bring the citation with me, otherwise I'd have I'd have given it to you. They know how to let the past go and move forward. They know how to let the past go and move forward. This is a behavior. Okay. It's an attribute, a quality that you can enhance. Lucky people. Yep. These are parts of the under the S they, they do. Go. Yeah. When we talk about being kind to themselves, which is the fourth one, fifth one, kind, yes. <laughs> kind to self. They didn't say anything about kind to others. They could be assholes to everybody else, but they're kind to themselves, right? <laughs> Ever been a narcissistic lucky person? Don't you just want to shoot those motherfuckers? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So they're more present and future-oriented rather than past-oriented. Yes? I a question. It's the One, the surgeon, and all the they're specific but they're not hyper specific. They're bullet pointers rather than scriptors. So what that means is I'm my goal is to be a doctor and help people. Right? That's pretty specific. But to be a doctor at the Mayo a cardiac surgeon at the Mayo clinic by such and such a time, that's real specific. Is that good or bad? Neither. We're not talking about good or bad. We're talking about the filters that are in place We're talking about the filters that are in place that move you towards the direction of serendipitous events. We're not talking about this whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you're effective or whether you're not effective. What we're talking about is luck, a phenomena that these people generate in more abundance than people who don't. Does that make sense? Okay. Again, my wife is hyper-specific. Her her eyes, the dots of her eyes have eyes that are dotted. Okay. When she I have to plan to leave a house 20 minutes early, earlier than we need to be there, because she's gonna go back and lo- check the locked door three times once she gets in the car. Okay. She's that detail oriented. Okay. Whenever there's a big heavy contract that needs to be read, I hand it to her. Because <laughs> she will climb through that thing with a microscope, right? Remember, and again, it's very. See how fast we apply value judgments. The minute we don't match up, well, I thought this, and I thought that. This has nothing to do with whether you're successful or not. Has nothing to do with whether you're successful. Has everything to do with whether you're the you have the qualities and characteristics that cause luck to manifest in your life. We, I'm going to keep banging on that distinction. You are not bad if you're hyperspecific. You're not unlucky necessarily if you're hyperspecific. But if you want more spontaneous moments to arise, these are the characteristics of people who have that particular phenomena in their life. If you want more of it, adopt these. If you don't, fine. It's your choice. Does that make sense? Okay, it's all about choice. As a neuro-linguistic programmer, my job is not one of the primary presuppositions of NLP is that there is no failure, there's only feedback. All behaviors have a positive intent. The person's never wrong. The behavior's never wrong. It's just a question of is the behavior generating the result that's appropriate, that's desirable? The 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 value of the person is held constant. As a neuro-linguistic programmer, that's the attitude that we move through. It's just the behaviors whether they're useful for the situation, right? If you're in a situation or or a career path that requires you to be hyper specific and and plan things out, then that's appropriate, right? If you want more luck in your life, this is appropriate. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, They go for the fortuitous moments that are not put off by a couple of setbacks along the way. So they may see an opportunity, they go for it, they hit a couple of setbacks, they don't quit. They say, okay, well, there's a snag in the road, I'll just keep going and see what happens. Right? I do this all the time. I piss people off. I just keep going. Um, So more future-oriented rather than past-oriented. Any questions on the be kind to themselves? Because this is one that, that I really see a lot of. When you have stuff in your identity level that's coming back to haunt you, this is one of them. The perfectionist side of you, that's the part of you that's beating you up, whether you're conscious of it or not, okay? They're extroverted. I always go, I'm an introvert, I'm fucked, right? No, you're not. Let me explain what they mean by extroverted, okay? This is the next one, okay? Is this useful yeah. Yeah. okay they have a much more outgoing personality they and by the way i' am a claw. I am a massive introvert I hate people <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm not out amongst the groups you know and doing what i do i'm I'm in my cave I'm in my cave <laughs> you know, you know. How much more out uh, have a much more outgoing personality? They seek more opportunities for social contacts as opposed to opportunities for solitude. Everybody in this room would qualify, because you came out tonight to be amongst somebody else, right? They reach out to the world, so the world reaches out to them. You can't be a lucky person locked in a room. You understand that? The more outreach you create, the more opportunities you draw. So this is one of the things that they've discovered about people who have a higher uh, um, correspondence of serendipitous events. Luck, lucky breaks and connections and things like that. They reach out to people, right? It doesn't mean they become best friends with everyone, okay? An average, a lucky person's direct attention towards the external environment. You can be inside your own head and still be relatively lucky, but when the going gets tough, you're more in the moment than you are in your head. Uh, average and unlucky people tend to direct the attention of their world internally, right? They're in their head making movies instead of paying attention to what's going on outside. We talk about format. our three magic questions, and moving and and going up to talk to somebody, we talk about their direction of attention, that the average human being can be in, in a constellation of one of several states. Their attention can either be associated or dissociated. It can be directed inward or it can be directed outward. So at any given moment, your attention can be focused outside of yourself and being fully in the moment, which is desirable. It can be disconnected and internal, which means I'm in my head making pictures. Or... It can be associated internal, which means I'm in my head, but I'm living a movie. I'm living it first person, right? But I'm still inside. In terms of creating attraction connection, this is the one we need. External, I'm sorry. External associated. We need to be out of our heads and into the world and interacting with people. This is something that all naturally lucky people embody, and they have a higher proportion of it in their personality and their makeup. Okay? Which one? OK, uh, remember that picture we made of the good feeling? Remember that? OK, close your eyes, look at your picture. As you look at your picture, go ahead. No, I'll do this. The very beginning? Yeah, just go back to the happy, whatever. Make it nice and big so you can see it. Go back into your picture. I want you to look at the, look at something very specific in the picture. Are you seeing yourself in the picture, or are you seeing it through your own eyes? If you're seeing yourself in the picture, step into it as if you're seeing it through your own eyes, and notice how that changes your experience. Right? You, you, ever, you ever play a video game? First person versus third person. Okay. You ever seen yourself on television? Okay. Can you imagine seeing yourself through the eyes of the person in the television? There she goes, <laughs> right? That's the difference between associated and dissociated. That has a direct correlation to identification. The more associated into an experience you become, in other words, seeing it as if it's happening through your own eyes, the more identified you tend to become with it. Yes. It kind of feels like you're embodied. Yep. Yes. It's exactly right, and that whole. Conceptual internal experience can actually be modulated by working with those pictures out here. It's really cool, but again, not where we're going. In other meetups, we'll talk about that. But remember, identification and association are very, very similar. Okay, uh, when I'm when I'm out when I'm external associated, it means I'm not like a first responder where there's a fire going on and I'm I'm just kind of disconnected from everything, even though I'm outside and I'm observing things. I'm in the moment, like when you're in love with somebody you really love and you just want to be with, right? You're just in that moment, as opposed to on the outside watching yourself. Right? <laughs> well, again, it's not a, whatever drives the dissociation is. It, it doesn't matter. But that's I want you to understand the perceptual position. Does that help you? Okay. The best place for us to be when we want to connect with another human being is external associated. We want to be out of our head and into the world and not making, you know, a lot of value judgments or being just kind of like monitoring the interaction, right? Yes? One thing about identity, so you're always changing your identity? Your identity changes, your context changes, yeah. You don't have a steady state identity necessarily, right? And because human beings are trans machines, and we move in and out of these perceptual positions and these filters so fluidly and so rapidly, we never realize it until somebody calls our attention to it right? The, the emotional refractory period, you don't realize, you don't get a two-minute warning that you're about to be pissed off, right? You don't have those little boys, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger, you're about to get pissed off. No. You go into the state, you have the experience, and then realize you're pissed off. The body shifts first, right? So in my, my persuasion and influence classes, we teach you how to influence the body through your body. And then everything changes and people just make decisions you want them to make automatically. Yes? The internal, was that the one where you're actually in it? Or is the actual internal means your direction of attention is inside your own head. Okay. When we talk about associated versus dissociated, what we're talking about is, am I seeing it as if it's through my own eyes or am I watching myself going through some motions? What's the distinction between the internal Okay. So you're seeing me right now. Close your eyes and imagine me. Now you're in your own head. Now you're internal. Okay. So you can tell the difference between the external and internal, right? Because yeah, we have special places for people who can't do that. Yeah. And meds, <laughs> right? But that's what I mean. When you're in your head making a picture, whether you're seeing yourself through your own eyes or watching yourself on a screen, that's internal. The direction of your attention is internal, right? When it's out here, when I'm looking at this gentleman or this young lady or this gentleman, and I'm just in the moment with them, I'm external and I'm associated. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's important. Sometimes I use jargon and things like that. We need to understand things. Right. Um, perceptual filters zero in on elements, on these elements. Um, That's where I'm at. Oh, I didn't read this yet. Extroverted. Uh, extroverts have a much more outgoing personality. They seek more opportunities for social contacts as opposed to opportunities for solitude. Once again, they reach out to the world. So the world reaches out to them. That's a very important statement. It's a very important statement functionally for what we're going for, right? Uh, An average or unlucky person directs their attention to their internal world. Now, just because you're average doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that if you're more external, you'll have a higher level of lucky things happen than people who aren't, right? Perceptual filters zero in on these elements. Lucky people will perceive and act upon chance encounters in the environment that unlucky people or average people will not. So, Again, as these events, these opportunities come up, they'll go for it. Ready, fire, aim. right And they'll, they'll stay on that path until they're, it's either proven not to bear fruit or something interesting happens. You ever find yourself like doing something and then something completely like, threatens to derail you, but you keep moving forward anyway and then something better happens as a result of it? That's what lucky people do. That's, that's the mindset. That's the filter that's in place. Okay, And if you have at least two or three episodes of that in your life, we can use that. That becomes a resource because it's built out of VAK associations, which means it's recorded in the neurology as a program to run, which means understanding how the code works, we can make it bigger and more operational. See how it all circles back to that whole VAK thing? If you can recall a memory or a resource or an experience that you've had, You can use that, build it, and install it as a permanent or more powerful filter in your life. Everything that you have is a potential resource. Nothing is wasted. Nothing. Once you understand VAK, how to point to it and how to play with it. Get it? Okay. So that's extroverted, and that's where we're at in terms of the uh, the characteristics. You have identity. They identify themselves as lucky people. They take action. They're open-minded. They're specifically vague. They're not hyper-specific. Okay. They're kind to themselves. They don't beat themselves up every time they make a mistake or they don't. They forget to dot an i or cross a t. Right. And they're extroverted. They seek social opportunities. Now, when they seek social opportunities, it may, it may never go any further than a Facebook friending. But they'll, they'll click the like button, or they'll click the friends button, and expand that network because you never know. Some of the most powerful connections I ever made happen by chance on Facebook, of all places. <laughs> all right? The natural impetus of the neurology is to connect. Every nerve in your body wants to connect with every other nerve. If our neurology is driven that way, what do you think our behaviors do? You're in this room because of a desire to connect, for mutual interest, but still connecting, which automatically means you're going to be more lucky. I guarantee you're going to be far more luckier for coming out tonight than the people who didn't. (laughs) I know that already. right? Serendipitous people are more fearless. They tend to be courageous about trying new things. Instead of worrying about something that could go wrong, they think, "Isn't that interesting? I'd like to give that a try." Contrast that with only focusing on the good things that could happen. Right? Good outcomes increase self-sufficiency. This again goes back to the action takers' personality profile. I'm gonna. I began with it. I'm gonna end with it because if we get nothing else out of tonight, it's this. Um. They perpetuate and reinforce the belief that they are competent and more capable of accomplishing whatever they set out to do. They tend to be more competent, confident, and take more risks. Okay? Lucky people are risk takers. Okay? They seize opportunity wherever they perceive it. Wherever they perceive it. What controls your perception? Your filters which is analogous to what? Your, Your feelings, your frequencies, right? They're willing to take more risks. They quickly brush off disappointments and move on to the next opportunity. Action takers by nature tend to be more happy because they have a constant influx of new stimulation experiences and activities to their daily life. Get out and get new experiences. Have fun with this, right? That's why we start with being playful, having fun. Being curious, these are driver states. These are things that move us forward. They move the neurology forward. Okay. They deliberately do new things that automatically boost contentedness. That doesn't mean sitting on the couch eating Häagen-Dazs all day long, right? I know. It's okay once in a while, every hour or so, I guess. Shit. Um, If an opportunity is available, they'll usually follow it. They almost never. They almost never act with 100% certainty. 85 is good enough, right? Better than 50%? That's a little challenging, but maybe, right? They almost never act with 100% certainty. If you wait until all negative emotions disappear, you'll never take action. Oh, baby, this is so true. I've got people who are perpetual shit taker, shit fixtures. Right, they they get into this this treadmill of looking for the next thing to fix, because they think that if they just fix enough stuff, everything will get easy. No, no. There's a difference between fixing something that's holding you back and looking for something that keep that keeps you from taking action. Right. My advice to those of you who are professional shit fixers: stop. <laughs> Start doing the actions and activities that lead towards positive, measurable results, and then when a block comes up, deal with it. Because there's this phenomenon that's a, a little known phenomenon in, in our industry. We call it pathological trance, which we're so we're so consumed with finding more shit to fix that that's all we ever do, and we never get fixed. We never take the actions that move our life forward. Right? Stop looking for shit to fix and start taking action in your life. And when shit comes up, shit being a technical term, mind you, then deal with it, right? Deal with it. I say that because I'm seeing it a lot lately. A lot of people are, are coming to me for stuff and they just they keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Based on the latest reports from tra- in the, from the trauma world, the average human being is carrying millions of years of repressed trauma in their neurology and in their DNA. Trust me, you will not run out of shit to fix, but that will not put food on your table. It will not add an extra zero or decimal point to your bank account. <laughs> Taking action in the world will, right? Focus on the things that are holding you back, and not st- and stop looking for things that might be holding you back. You understand the distinction, okay? Uh, when truly uncertain about a decision, they ask themselves: This is a strategy. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? How likely is that particular situation to really happen? Notice the difference now. A lot of us ask, what's the worst could happen? We come up with some shit. You ever <laughs> notice that? It's because the human neurology, the human brain is the world's most comprehensive information processing system on the planet and question answering mechanism on the planet, short of the planet itself. Your neurology must seek to answer any question you put to it, regardless of how stupid the question is, All right? now, NLP, we have this thing called the blame frame. You may have heard people go, why does this always happen to me? And the neurology goes, oh, he wants a list. (laughs) I submit, ladies and gentlemen, that the quality of your life will be guided and directed by the quality of the questions you ask yourself. Because your neurology can't not answer it. But just like Google, how you phrase the question biases the answer that you get. Asking yourself why this shit always happens to me is a far less useful question. Than how can I make sure this shit never happens again? <laughs> or how can I do better? Or what can I get instead? Same situation, different direction. Little things make a big difference, right? They weigh the short-term costs versus the long-term benefits, Right? I have stories on this one, but we'll never get to the next piece. We're done at 10, right? 10.30. 10, <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> I always get that. OK. You guys having fun? Is this useful information? Yes. OK. So let's learn how to cook the rice, shall we? <laughs> OK. First and foremost, we got to create the resources we got to build our resources, right? So I'm going to diagram this process out. This is going to be a, process, a, a combination, a little bit of shit clearing, a little bit of shit clearing, and a whole lot of upgrading. We're going to use our imagination. We're going to use our body. We're going to use our critical faculty, the part of us that analyzes. But we're going to use it appropriately, OK? So first and foremost, you have resources, right? Oops. I just killed the killed the coffee cup. That's all right. So we have an identity level issue, right? So two resources. I want you to imagine somebody who is really friggin lucky. Somebody you know that's just off the charts lucky. You? All right. imagine her. Off the chart's lucky, right? Once you close your eyes, take a deep breath in. Let that breath out with a sigh. Ah, deeper and deeper with every breath you take and every beat of your heart. All I want you to do is relax, let go. Listen to the sound of my voice. Any sounds you hear other than the sounds of my voice are simply the sounds of our natural environment. They're not going to disturb you or distract you in any way. In fact, they're going to remind you to relax realizing no matter how far inside you travel, no matter how deep inside you go, you'll always be able to hear my words and follow my instructions and obey my commands. Not because I'm any big authority figure or because I'm some kind of high-level hypnotist or something like that, but because you realize that everything I say and everything I do is for you. To give you the life you want the way you want it, by your standards and your definitions. Now what I'd like you to do is imagine, if you would, the safest place you've ever been Maybe it's a place that existed when you were growing up. Maybe it's a place that exists only in your mind. I had a client out in London. Her idea of a safe place, her safe place was actually a nuclear fallout shelter five miles below the surface of the earth, surrounded in cement and concrete, and there was only enough room in it for her. When I say your safe place, it can be anything. Some people are very spiritual. Some people are very transpersonal, and they like to be surrounded by their spirit guides and their guardian angels and their animal totems. Some people like to lock themselves in a bank vault. Some people have a room they grew up in that when they were in that room, sealed away from the world, everything was perfect. Other people have a place out in nature, a place where they go, where they know there are enough, where they're completely safe, all their needs are met, where they're fully accepted in every way. Now, because we are in a group, my speaking may be a little faster or slower at times than your processing speed. And that's okay because I want you to move through these processes together with me only at your natural speed, only at your natural pace, allowing yourself to just enjoy the processes to be fully integrated. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to move into your safe place. I'd like you to see what you saw and hear what you heard and feel what you felt. And when you're there, I want you to just nod your head to let me know. Perfect. Now, when you're in your safe place, that place where everything is taken care of, everything is protected, there's a feeling that you get that lets you know you're there. And I want you to notice that there's a place in your body where that feeling starts, where that feeling grows and emanates from. And if you were to just point to it, where would you be pointing? That's right. And as you point to that place, I want you to notice that there's a color connected to that feeling. What might that color be? And as you notice that color, I'd like you to use that amazing imagination of yours. I'd like you to imagine a huge ball of that feeling, of that energy floating above your head. And I want you to breathe that color through your entire body. From the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Deeper and deeper with every breath you take and every beat of your heart like somebody turned on the tap and just left it running as you breathe it through your mind and body i want you to scan your body i want you to notice if any places of pain tightness worry fear tension anxiety anything that's less than comfortable and breathe more of that color through those areas and notice what happens and just keep breathing Letting your mind and color and feeling and energy flow through those areas. Just like that. And then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just allow, if you would, another part of your mind, another part of your consciousness to float up out of your physical body and into that sphere, into that colored energy. Merging with it, like a drop of water merges back into the ocean from which it came. Feeling a connection, a reconnection, if you will, to something much greater, much larger, much more powerful than yourself. Letting all the filters of who you are and what you should have dissolve away into that energy, that source of abundance. That place we call source, in whatever way that means to you. And let those wonderful feelings of connection and intimacy and safety flow. Some people imagine, like if you could ever imagine the warmest, most wonderful, most soothing bath you've ever taken. You you just kind of sit back and dissolve your body into that wonderful warm water. You can feel yourself resolving into that energy, into that field, into that vibration and the colors. And as you pass deeper and deeper into it, You may eventually find yourself passing through to the other side. And when you do, you may find yourself in a very interesting place. A place that in the world, according to David, we call the gray room. Now, your room may not be gray. It may be some other awesome color. Or you may just stay in this safe space and do the processes together that we're talking about. But understand that where you're at and the feelings moving through your body have an infinite, ever-expanding quality to them. That for as long as your heart continues to beat and your lungs continue to breathe, this feeling, this energy, these qualities and characteristics will go with you. Supporting you. Strengthening you. Healing you. And things you understand, ways you understand and remember, ways that you unconsciously understand and remember. So just allow that process to take place. However your body responds to these energies is perfectly okay. Some people laugh, some people yawn, some people cry, some people tear up, some people feel warmth, some people feel coolness, some people tingle. It doesn't really matter. How your body expresses these things is entirely up to you. As we began this process, we talked about remembering or creating a picture in your mind of somebody who was extraordinarily lucky, who embodied that pure, serendipitous energy that you want more of in your life. I want you to call up that representation in your mind of this person, or maybe a group of people. I want you to imagine that you could float up out of your physical body and float down into theirs. See the world through their eyes. Feel the world through their body. Understand themselves, the world, and everyone in it the way they do. As this person look in the mirror and notice what thoughts and ideas and feelings come up, how do they feel about themselves? How do they perceive their perceptions, their sense of worth, their ability to identify as being somebody very, very fortunate who attracts all the best experiences and circumstances in their life? Notice how they move through the world taking action how they become aware of perceptions and opportunities, and they stick to it. They ready, fire, aim. Notice how kind they are to themselves, how they treat themselves on the inside. That's right. Notice how they reach out. They look for opportunities to engage, to connect. how they're never too specific about the things they go for. And just live a week or two in that life, maybe a month. Go where they go. Do what they do. Understand themselves, the world, and everyone in it, as they do. And I want you to notice that after a certain interval a feeling will start to arise within you that's different, that's unique compared to the old self you used to recognize, and that perhaps there's a place in your body where that feeling starts. And you may notice that there's a color or a series of colors connected to that feeling. What might those colors be? I want you to imagine breathing all of those colors through your entire physical body, from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Noticing what happens in your body as you breathe those frequencies through every level of your mind and every level of your body. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663 and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer.